Hello, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. And what is Tarbis, I hear you cry? Well, Tarbis stands for Timely and Relevant Blogging, Including Sandwiches. It does indeed. And what does that mean, Carrie? That is a blog that we set up just about a year ago now about historical places that we'd been to, um, places of interest, and basically describing them, giving you a run-through of them, so that you can make up your mind whether to go there or not. Nine times out of ten, we suggest you do. Yeah, and we give ratings on all different things, from the facilities, to the place itself, to the upkeep, and of course, the cafes. Because that's all important. Definitely. But we decided that we didn't just want to write about things, we wanted to talk about them as well. So we set up a podcast, that you're listening to, which is all about... People, places, historical events, things of interest that we uh, we like to geek out about. Yep, we wanted to get on another platform because nerding about history is what we do best and we wanted another way of doing it. And sharing it with you lovely people. Now, um, you can listen in, obviously. You can also read our blog and get in touch. How can they do that, em? Well, it's using our handle, which is the same for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and WordPress. And that is at Tarbis History. And Tarbis is all capitals and history is all lowercase. So come on in, have a listen, drop us a line if you think that there's someone in particular that we should talk about or, God forbid, we get something wrong. Definitely, if we get something wrong, I want to know. So sit back, relax and enjoy Tarbis After Hours. Good evening. We hope this Tuesday finds you well and a little bit warmer than it is in the UK right now. And Chin Yan Kuai Le, or Happy Chinese New Year of the pig. Um, if you were born in the year of the pig, so that's 1947, 59, 71, 83, 20, 95, not 25, 2007 or 2019, you are knowledgeable in organising work and leisure time, fond of enjoying life and tend to forget any targets in life and you should learn to work harder. It's a last sign of the Chinese zodiac and is often synonymous with wealth and excess. Nice. Every day's a school day. Isn't it just? It is. You well, are a dragon, aren't you? I am the Eve dragon. I'm technically a snake, but born before Chinese New Year, so also kind of a dragon. You're not kind cool of. enough to be a dragon. Well, We're I'm, cool people. I'm a Slytherin, so it fits that I'm a snake. Anyway, <laughs> this week we're delving into what is one of my favourite, yet most frustrating parts of being an historian. Um, the history mystery. Ooh. You know what I mean. The events we know that have happened, but we can't figure out how or why, or prove the correct version of events. Looking at you, Dickie 3, and your nephews in that tower. Dickie, honestly. So disrespectful. Um, this week we're discussing Angkor Wat. Um, slight disclaimer, pronunciation. We, are, we do try our best. Um, we don't mean to offend anybody. Sometimes we will get it wrong because we are very, very British. But yeah. we give it a go and we hope that you take it as us trying our best. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with English words. Yeah, this is true. So, um, but of Angkor Wat, I knew absolutely nothing of this until Carrie suggested it for a topic for this podcast. And I have found myself now hopelessly needing to know what happened. Yeah, good luck with that. one can only theorise. But before we get into the mystery part, Carrie, give us the history. As you wish. The temple complex of Angkor Wat, um, which the name means capital temple or capital city temple, is one of the largest religious monuments in the world and is located in Siam Reap in Cambodia. It was constructed in the Khmer style in the 12th century and started by Suya Varman II and completed by Jaya Varman VII as part of the Khmer Empire. Thank you. 
The original temple was a Hindu temple to the god Vishnu, one of the principal Hindu gods. And the original style for the temple was what's called mountain style, which is basically an architectural version of Mount Meru, which is the Hindus' Mount Olympus, the home of their gods. I mean, I, I love the fact that your Hindus, your Greek and your Roman gods live on top of a mountain. Your Egyptian and your Taoist gods have their, um, their like, heavenly realms. Meanwhile, the Norse gods basically have a collection of glorified treehouses. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that uh, analogy, Karen. It's not wrong. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Myths say that the temple was constructed mathematically to be in harmony with the universe, and the distances and sizes in Angkor Wat are related to Indian mythology. It's also suggested that Angkor Wat was used for astronomical purposes. Um, scenes from the Hindu sacred book, the Mahabharata, can be found carved on the outer wall in eight different panels. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. Um. The other part of the temple was built to add galleries or an entrance building, basically like a gatehouse, but for your temple. Yep. Um, Angkor has a... Gopura. At each of the cardinal points, being obviously north, south, east and west. Outside of the temple uh, was surrounded by a moat um, of about three miles long and a wall of about 2.2 miles long. Um, there are three galleries in total within the complex, one on top of the other... Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the temple were five towers arranged in a cross shape called a quincunct. Close, quincunx. Oh, very, very close. You tried. I got it right before. You did, you did. In the first take, she did it brilliantly. <laughs> um, the temple was beautiful and unique in a number of ways. Uh, one of which is the fact that it is a west-facing temple and not an east-facing temple. And nobody can, has a concrete theory as to why this might be. Um, a lot of the time it is expected that um, a temple would face east rather than west um, because you've got the whole idea of one being the entrance to the heavens, the other being the entrance to the underworld, one being good, one being bad, so to speak. Um, I think a lot of that is people imposing what's called a cultural script, which is how you have been brought up in your culture to see something. So what is acceptable to us may not be acceptable to them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, over time, the dedication of this temple changed from um, Hinduism to Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And the name changed from... Vra Vishnu Loka. Which means a sacred dwelling of Vishnu, to Angkor Wat. Like you said before, Carrie, it means temple city. Um, there are a collection of historical sites in the Angkor region, but Angkor Wat is probably the most instantly recognisable, and there is quite a bit of legend surrounding it. Yeah, indeed. Um, the main legend is that it was created as a palace for Prince Prekorket Malaya, who was the son of Suryavarman, but after the king died, it was left incomplete. Another is that it was actually completed by a, um, a godly architect in a single night. Oh, OK. Um, this last theory we can trace to the writings of Zhao Daguan, a 13th century traveller from China. He wrote what local people said. Um about 30 years after the death of Indra Suryavarman II, the Angor region was then sacked by the Kams, who were the energy of the Khmer. And after that, it was, um, over, after that was over, so that little bit of war was over, um, Jayavarman VII finished construction, but it was no longer the capital at that point. He decided to move the capital a bit to the north, to Angor Tom, still within the Angor region. Um, After the change from the Hindu temple to a Buddhist monastery in the late 1100s, the temple did continue to be used and is actually still visited to this day, um, although it was mostly neglected after the 16th century. Um, In the 1600 descriptions um, that have been found, told of a Japanese Buddhist 
going to live at Angkor Wat amongst the Khmer. Um, there was one that tells us of a celebration of the Khmer New Year mm-hmm. in 1632, um, where Japanese Buddhist Okundayu Kazufusa and his companions thought that Angkor Wat was the Jetavana Gardens where the Buddha used to deliver his teachings. Apparently that um, there's some parts of that may be in Sri Lanka yeah. instead. Yeah, You're full of useful information, aren't you? I mean, it's useful now. The rest of the time it's really not. Mm, she's good in a pub quiz. Yeah. Um, people didn't really um, rest when they visited, and they didn't really visit very often until the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a description by Portuguese friar Antonio de Madalena from 1586, who said, and I quote, It is of such extraordinary construction that it is not possible just to describe it with a pen, particularly since it is like no other building in the world. It has towers and decorations and all the refinements which the human genius can conceive of. Yep. Also, Carrie is a quote from a French man who we will just discuss later on. Yeah, this is from a guy called Henri Mouot, and he said, One of these temples, a rival to that of Solomon and erected by some ancient Michelangelo, might take an honourable place beside our most beautiful buildings. It is grander than anything left to us by Greece or Rome. Now, he, um, I mean, by saying that it's, comparing it to the architecture of Greece and Rome, he's sort of putting it in the wrong time period, because this is round about... You know, the, the 12th century, so year 1100s, around about the same time as over here in England you had um, Canterbury Cathedral and Salisbury Cathedral being built. It was spelling towards the end of the Viking raids, um, Alfred the Great come and gone, everything like that. Wow. Yeah. It's weird when you put it in context. Like yeah, that, definitely. You yeah. can't, your head can't quite fathom it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Julius Caesar had been dead for the best part of a thousand years at that point. Nah. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... France effectively ruled Indonesia at that point, okay. um, and it was, it was called Indochina, and um, they decided to investigate the Angle region and only really found evidence of the monuments and none of the usual um, indicators of human habitation, such as tools, weapons, clothes, utensils, things like that. Um, the inscriptions that are on the temple, however, did help to create a rough chronology of Khmer rulers and gave an idea of the civilization behind the construction. However, in the in about 1898, the French did decide to put substantial funding into the preservation of the sites because the jungle at that point had begun to reclaim many of the buildings and a lot of that valuable history was being lost to nature. So they, they understood it, so they decided to work with it. Um, restoration and archaeological research continued through into the next century. It was unfortunately interrupted by the Cambodian Civil War and the control of the Khmer Rouge in the 70s and 80s, um, though luckily not much damage was done to the site. The Khmer Rouge did use what was left of the wooden structures for firewood, and there was a shootout between the Khmer Rouge and the Vietnamese forces, which caused some damage and can still be seen in the form of bullet holes, which is wonderful. Khmer Rouge being... Pol Pot and his people. Pol Pot, yeah, not to be confused with the opera singer Paul Potts. No. One one is an opera singer and winner of Britain's Got Talent, the other one committed genocide. Slight difference. Tiny bit. <laughs> um, art thieves, particularly post-war, in the 80s and 90s, um, did the most damage. Um, for example, the worst damage they did was removing statues' heads. Disrespectful. Yeah. Um, in 1992, it was declared a... UNESCO. 
UNESCO World Heritage Site. And in 2015, a research team from the University of Sydney found uh, buried towers. Um, they were built and destroyed during the initial construction mm -hmm. and a massive structure that nobody knows what was for. Ooh, here's the mystery. There was also findings of low-level occupancy, meaning at the, there was many houses that may have been lived in, not just by priests. So, Carrie, where did these people go? <laughs> that is actually a very, very good question. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the Mary Celeste mystery, and we'll come back to that one at a later date. Um, now, obviously, deep in this Cambodian jungle, you've got the remains of a vast medieval city left hidden for centuries. There's been some new archaeological techniques revealing its secrets, including an elaborate network of temple boulevards and sophisticated engineering. Now, in April 1858, our young little Frenchman, Henri Mouot, sailed from London to Southeast Asia. We spoke about him briefly earlier, the one that I gave the quote from. Yep. For the next three years, he travelled wildly, discovering exotic jungle insects, and a lot of them still actually bear his name. Um, today, he would be pretty much forgotten, sadly, were it not for his journal. See, sometimes it does help to write it down. Sometimes. Yeah, if you're Moro or Samuel Pepys, write it down. Anybody else, don't write it down. Um, he, he published his journal in 1863, two years after he died, of fever in Laos, which is next to Cambodia. Mm -hmm. um, and he was only 35. That's no age. He was five years older than us. Don't catch fever in Laos. Okay, try my best. Um, now, the journal account captured the public's imagination, not because of the beetles and spiders that he found. Readers were gripped by his vivid description of vast temples consumed by the jungle, and he'd introduced the world to the lost medieval city of Angkor in Cambodia and its romantic and awe-inspiring splendour. Yep. Um, his descriptions firmly established in popular culture this beguiling fantasy of swashbuckling explorers finding forgotten temples. Sounds a little bit Indiana Jonesy. Best archaeologist there is. <laughs> so some people did put his finding down to him just like wanting to be known for something quite spectacular and almost pirate-like, I guess. Basically, he'd, he'd made it up, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, because they thought, you know, he's not going to get famous for naming a bug, unless you're <laughs> David Attenborough. Sir David Attenborough. Apologies. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wanted to. So he, people thought that maybe he made this up because because no, back then no one would, not many people would be able to tell for many years if he was telling the truth or not. Yeah, it's not like they could get a camera crew like pictures or it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, today, however, um, Cambodia is famous for these buildings, and like we said, the, the largest Sangor Wat, which still remains the biggest re religious complex on earth, it's four times larger than the Vatican. And pers in my hum my personal opinion, I was about to say humble, but it's not. In my personal <laughs> opinion, it's a lot more beautiful. The architecture is more beautiful than the Vatican. Don't get me wrong, the Vatican is incredible. I'm talking about outside. Inside, you know, the Sistine Chapel, let's not even go there. But um, on the outside, I think Angle Watt just, it takes the biscuit. Yeah. Um, so now, as we said before, it, it, it was a lost city. And um, it took over a century of grueling archaeological fieldwork to fill in any sort of map. Um, but it did slowly begin to reappear, street by street, but even then there were still significant blanks. So it wasn't until 2015, like you said, Carrie, archaeologists announced a series of new discoveries about Angkor and an even older city, city hidden deep in the jungle beyond. 
you said, didn't you, Carrie, that mm-hmm. there's an international um, team led by the University of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went over and it took them less than two weeks to get an entire survey completed. That is brilliant. Their secret? Mm-hmm. I think I'm saying this right. LIDAR? Yep. LIDAR? Yep. It's a sophisticated remote sensing technology that is completely revolutionising um, archaeology, especially in the tropics. It's doing such good work in like the Yucatan region yeah. in um, Mexico. It basically, it's it's like it's mounted on a helicopter. Then the helicopter flies over, like not the countryside, but you know, like yeah, vast the, amounts the of greenery. Yeah. Um, and teams, then the device fires a million laser beams every four seconds Ooh, fast. through the canopy of the jungle, and it records minute variations in a ground surface so even the tiniest little bump yeah wow and the findings obviously in um angor were quite staggering um the archaeologists they found undocumented cityscapes on the forest floor with with temples highways elaborate waterways spreading across the whole landscape um, Dr Evans was the leader of the expedition by the University of Sydney and Dr Evans actually said I'm not going to do an Australian accent you do. You have this kind of sudden eureka moment where you bring the data up on screen for the first time and there it is, this ancient city, very clearly in front of you. Just imagine that moment where, you, you know, you look at, with your naked eye and you just see jungle and then the leader comes back and it's just a city in front of you. You can't. There are, I'd cry. I would actually cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the new discovery, it has profoundly transformed our understanding of Angor, and it's now known as the greatest medieval city on earth. It's quite an accolade. It is a bit. Um, now, the, the Lidar, Lidar? Lidar survey of the hills revealed an outline on the forest floor of unknown temples and elaborate ceremonial boulevards, dikes, and man-made ponds. So, more like construction and more proof of uh, proof of life the end of the medieval period there was a dramatic shift in the climate across southeast asia and tree ring samples from the jungle site of angor record sudden fluctuations between wet and dry conditions the lidar map revealed catastrophic flood damage in the city's vital water network so with its lifeline obviously now in tatters is it possible that angor entered a spiral of decline from which it never recovered so if you think they're having to sort out their water and then all of a sudden there's a massive flood, so their water system is then polluted by dirty water coming down from the jungle. So you've got disease and everything as well on top of that. Um, so could it have been that the reason why people have gone? is Was it a, catast- a massive catastrophic flood? It's Is the mystery not really a mystery at all? Did the city literally just flood and have everybody leave? I mean, it's not as exciting as maybe one would want it to be, I guess. Yeah, when it comes out of the history mysteries, but I'm going to throw this theory at you now. All right. Angor was never really lost. Ooh, controversial. It just disappeared. Okay. I get that no one has lived there for a very long time. Hmm. But the Khmer people knew of its existence even after the kingdom broke down. Like, for a number of years, many of the temples were used by fishermen and farmers in the area. So the rediscovery, in inverted commas of Angor Wat, as credited to the French explorer, Henri Mondebide, well. thank you, in 1860, <laughs> um, was it a rediscovery? He himself acknowledged that Portuguese monasteries also visited the city in the 16th century. He noted that in his journal. Mm. So, a Chinese diplomat 
also published a memoir of Angkor Wat in 15, um, 15, 1810, ten years before our French boy. So, at which time, regular flow of visitors began visiting the area. Was it a discovery? Maybe not. Maybe not, but it does beg the question, why, if there was fishermen and everything there, why didn't they go back? If they knew that the area was then safe to be inhabited again, why didn't they go back? Maybe they didn't want to tell anybody. Maybe they wanted to keep it for their little fisherman friends. Or maybe they, they knew that sort of thing would happen again. So they then moved on somewhere else. Mm. But um, it's it's definitely somewhere that I'd somewhere I'd like to go. And um, <clears throat> sorry, frog in my throat there. Um, we will be putting links to some pictures. Yeah, definitely. On and it's it's definitely it's an incredible place. And with some of the things that they're doing with uh, with virtual reality now, if oh, they made yeah. a VR version of Angkor Wat, I honestly they they're talking about doing VR of so many different places, like your your Roman temples and everything, mm. and having them constructed the way the evidence shows they would have been originally. I wouldn't leave home, I'd just sit there with my VR set all day. They have one of uh, climbing Mount Everest. Oh, that's incredible. You they can actually um, get a demo of it, I'll have to show you. Oh, that's cool. They've got, um, they use them to help teach um, underwater archaeology, um, underwater archaeology techniques, and they're doing it on a, um, a site, I think it's a temple complex, just outside of, um, like in the Roman Peninsula, just outside of Italy and Rome. And um, they they teach you, they teach the students how to do it through a VR set. And then, once you've got enough technique, you then go out and actually do it diving underwater for real. That's but cool. imagine if you couldn't leave home, if you were physically incapable, you could still travel and like go through the pyramid, you can walk in the Sphinx, you mm. can see Angle Watts. How incredible is that? That'd be very cool. Yes. Do you have any theories of what you think happened to Angle Watt, Carrie? I think because there is, up until um, LIDAR and everything, there was such a lack of evidence of life, of um, like human habitation, I think it was something that happened gradually over a long space of time. So it wasn't necessarily like war, famine, plague, things that happened quite quickly. Because then there would be evidence of like mass evacuation and devastation and, and death and lots of bodies and human remains. I think it is something that happened over a long period of time, so like a form of change in the climate. Not necessarily climate change, but change in the climate. Um, flooding, I mean, we know that the area is susceptible to, to extremes in weather, monsoon, things like that, tropical climate. It could have just been a slight a change in climate, and it caused flooding. And obviously, if they're building all these structures, someone may have just done something in the wrong way, and it caused a flood, and then because of all their um, man-made waterways... It just mm. escalated from there. What if, if we're talking about weather, they obviously mm. so they have two extremes. What if there is like an extreme dry season and it famine, and they left because they had to find more, had to find food. So people moved to different villages, different towns, different cities to have a the, more sustainable. Yeah, that that's possible. It would have to be a very like pardon the pun a slow burner. Um, because it would have to be, for them to all up and leave, and leave hardly any trace, they would have had to have taken pretty much everything with them. So they had plenty of time, they had plenty of warning. So it couldn't have been just like an overnight Egyptian plague sort of mm. famine. But, yeah, it's, it's entirely possible. I honestly think that the elements are the main the main thing here. The elements are maybe encroaching armies as well. Possibly. 
So all of that worked together and then they had to abandon Angor. And the rest has been done by the jungle. Yep. Creeping vines and the roar of, roar of the tiger in the morning. There is actually, there's a temple, and I can't remember whereabouts it is, but they call it the Temple of the Tigers, because basically tigers have moved in there and ain't nobody moving them out. <laughs> That's where I'd like to go. We'll send you, Carrie. Thanks. A last wish. If everything goes horribly wrong, send me to the Temple of the Tigers. I'll be, I'll die happy. Fair enough. <laughs> Speaking <Someone> of... dying. <laughs> um, we're going to go to the ridiculous death. Now, because we're in the, on the Asian continent, we're going to stay on the Asian continent. But we're going to spin up the time machine and step back in time. All the way back to September, roughly, um, 210 BC. Right. Sadly, they did have roads. So we did need roads. <laughs> um, this is about Emperor Qin Shi Huang. Well done. Thank you. He was the founder of the Qin dynasty and the first emperor of a fully unified China. Up to this point, China had been different realms and um, warring realms. Um, now, as an emperor, there was a lot of pressure on him to keep his dynasty and his bloodline going, and he certainly left his mark on history, credited with, with great hits such as the Great Wall of China and the Terracotta Army. They're quite cool things to go down history for. Yeah, man left his mark. Um, so it was no wonder that he had his physicians working hard on a cure for mortality. I mean, if an emperor could live forever, he'd essentially be a god. He wouldn't really need to worry about heirs, etc. It'd all be just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. So they tried all manner of concoctions until they came up with the ultimate answer. Pills. Made from mercury. You mean that very, very deadly, poisoning, liquid metal? Yes, the one of Mad Hatter fame. Right. So, um, good old Emperor Chun Shi Huang took these pills, in good faith, mm-hmm. and died of mercury poisoning. So, his pills of immortality killed him. <laughs> good job there, doctors. <coughs> yeah. I, can, <laughs> I can kind of see why that isn't massively publicised, because I think that, you know, if I knew that now... I'm going to remember him as the guy who died trying to cheat death. I mean, rather be... <laughs> than the fact he made the Great Wall of China. To be fair, I mean, it, it gives new gives new life to the saying, "I'm going to live forever or die trying." Hey! <laughs> but you know, it's just like, yes, Emperor, we we have we have these pills. They're miraculous. You're going to live for? Oh no! Oh damn! Yeah. I wonder how long he took the pills for. How long did it take you to get mercury poisoning? Um. It depends on the um, like how much mercury was actually in the pills. So they probably would have mixed it in with other herbs as well. But it would have been quite slow, quite horrible actually. He would have been very, 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 very ill, Aww. and possibly a little bit batty. Poor old Qin Shi Huang. Qin Shi Huang. I tried. You did try. Why did close, I try? Close. No, you did <laughs> try. Props for trying. Thanks. Well, we are now going to go and have a Chinese feast. We are indeed. To celebrate this new year. Mm -hmm. So we wish you a very happy new year, a very fruitful 2019. Yep. And we shall speak with you all next Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I was just remembering. (laughs) (laughs) I did this really good ending and you're just like... Yeah, no, it's because I'm gonna I'm gonna say this now, and this is probably this is actually gonna go on the recording. Last week, when we we're trying to be so somber and everything, we had to re-record the ending because I turned around at the end and said, "Okay, we'll see you next Tuesday," which 
if you know common parlance in England, probably not the best thing to say, especially not after and such I a... And I just said yeah. a really good ending, <laughs> off the cuff, and, and I was trying... <laughs> yep. Because I was trying in my head not to say it. <sighs> Goodbye. Help. <laughs>